Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 4, Episode 3 of Farscape. What was lost? Part 2, Resurrection. Okay, I'm going to be honest. We, like, just watched this and I kind of remember, like, two things that happened in this episode. It wasn't bad. It was fine. It's just it wasn't an episode that really left an impression. Well, I mean, it was a wrap-up episode. Like... I said last week that last week and this week could have been one episode, and I stand by that statement. Oh, yeah. Even though both last week and this week were better than I remembered, I still stand by it could have been one episode. Well, it kind of reminds me of, in our other podcast, our Charmed podcast, remember they had those two episodes with Cole in season three? Yes, where he was like an undercover demon. Yeah, and they were functionally the same episode, and it's like, this could have, this could have been one episode. This is a little different than that, though. When... We got to that part in Charmed, it felt like they did the same storyline twice in a row, whereas here it's more like they padded this out to make it two episodes when you could have cut a bunch of stuff and made it a really, really tight 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And I get it. I get that, like... You have to do X number of episodes in a season. Oh, I was actually thinking on network TV, you have to do X number of minutes in an episode, right? Mm. So if an episode is 60 minutes and you literally feel like you cannot cut it shorter than 60 minutes, then pat it and make it a two-parter. Or maybe they just felt like it was important enough, like it was an important enough plot point to make it two episodes. Farscape existed time-wise in a really weird period of time where... We were transitioning from episodic television to serial television. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Farscape is just really right in that spot. Like, this is a two-parter, but what it wants to be is a plot line that stretches out over a season. And honestly, that is kind of what it is. But they don't really know what to do with that. Also, said it last week, gonna say it this week. Man, I miss that Aaron's not here yet. Yeah, I, I feel like we are kind of hurting for the lack of Aaron. I mean, I know where she is, because I've seen this show before, and I'm still like, oh, Aaron, come back to us. I don't even care that you're in your Scorpius suit. Next time we see Aaron, she's in a Scorpius suit. I guess that makes sense with the whole, like, um, sebation heat thing. Yeah, she has heat delirium sickness. Yeah. Spoilers for two episodes from now? Is that even a spoiler? I don't know. I don't even know what a spoiler is when we're talking about a 20-year-old television show. You know, that thing that comes and goes when it's convenient for the plot. I'm sorry, there's so much stuff when they were on that desert planet where I'm like, how is she not suffering from heat delirium right now? Eh. Come on. She's, she's tough. She's got willpower. Yeah. As a reminder, last episode... John is trying to get the gang back together. Uh, at the end of last season, he was stranded in space. He was found by a dying Leviathan. Uh, he re-encountered Chiana and Rigel, who are still being hunted down by the uh, by the Sebations. Be Specifically because Greza, who's in charge now, is like, ooh, if Scorpius wanted John, it must have been for something important, so I should want him too. Which is the flimsiest reason John has been chased so far. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I guess she just needed a project to bulk out her evil resume or something. She's like, mm, my evil CV is looking a little blank. I know that, that all the, the books say that you should be adding something to your accomplishments on your resume at least once a month. And I just got, I have nothing here. So, Rigel and Chiana brought him to find Dargo. Mm -hmm. And to a lesser degree, Jewel. Yeah, and Rigel and Chiana found him because those beacons are out there saying, hey, arrest these criminals, these space criminals. And 
they found Dargo and Jewel on the planet that Jewel went to to do her archaeological research about her people. I have some questions, which I'm not that interested in because it's Jewel and who cares? Wait, is your question? Is that outfit a standard uniform for archaeological discovery? No, I, I've just accepted that that's how people dress in Farscape. My thing is, like, is all of her post-grad stuff still active? Like, how is, uh... I was thinking about how long she was frozen. I think she was only frozen for, like, less than a year. Like, six months to a year. So I I think she's fine. Okay. Because, like, it, it, it seems like maybe she would have some administrative difficulties, you know, getting back into her studies, but maybe that's not how alien societies work. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure the Interions are at least as bureaucratic as we are, so I'm sure she had to go through some sort of office. I'm just thinking about the ragmarole I had to go through to add and drop classes back in college. Like, this would be a whole thing. There's no way that she picked up, I mean, I know we could, what, six months later was the time jump from the end of season three. I mean, I had to do a medical leave when I was in college, and I know what it took, and I'm sure Jewel had to do something similar. Mm. So, they're all on this planet that has this thing with, like, magnetic fields or something, where they can only study the uh, civilization that disappeared mysteriously here millions of years ago. And they can only study- But where are the bodies if they disappeared? <laughs> or if they, if they were all killed, rather, where are the bodies? I feel like there are lots of answers, but we'll find out what the real one is here. I would guess bone vampires myself. That is what you guessed last week. Yeah. I'm sorry, you introduced bone vampires as a thing that exists in this universe. If you're like, where are the bodies? Probably bone vampires. You know, there are bone vampires on Lower Decks too, which makes me think Lower Decks and therefore all of Star Trek exists in the same universe as Farscape. To be fair, there are also bone vampires in Futurama. Granted, it was in the post-reboot seasons, but... Yeah, those don't count. I'm just saying, sci-fi is this weird thing with bone vampires. Anyway, so the Sebations invaded, someone killed Jules, archaeological teacher who was running the dig site, who was hoping to find weapons under the, uh... Under the guise of archaeological discovery. Yeah, because she's like, this big honking civilization had, uh, all of this super cool technology, and yet they still all died, so clearly something, you know, weapony happened here that I can get my hands on and probably sell to someone. Okay. But she's dead now, so we don't have to worry about her. But before she died, the knowledge of where those things were was implanted in John because people can't stop implanting knowledge in John's head. It's like, it is a human brain, not a storage locker. I feel like the archaeological teacher who was actually trying to get weapons and not knowledge, I, I just... I've been thinking about a lot of other sci-fi shows and how Farscape fits into the history of sci-fi television. Mm-hmm. Because that's, I mean, that's kind of my jam. It's kind of what we do here. And I think that on Stargate, she would have been a season-long main villain. And we would have spent a lot more time on the archaeological site. And I just, I love when, I love when shows drop in for one or two episodes to something that could be a main plot in a different episode. It makes the world feel rich. Unless it's Once Upon a Time, and then it makes me feel like the authors don't know where to point the camera. I know you like Stargate a lot, and I know it's a very popular show, but every time I hear something about it, I can't help but think, oh my god, that must be the most boring TV show ever. Well, you are aware that I'm curating a very specific Stargate 
Amal watch Duren. list for you. Yeah. Yes. Where we just watched the best Claudia Black episodes. You're going to watch it. You're going to be like, I was wrong. Stargate is awesome. But the thing is, you're not wrong. I'm just going to be showing you really, really non-representative episodes. Let's talk about Farscape. Farscape. So uh, last episode ended with the witch who just kind of appeared at the end of last season throwing John off a cliff because the Sebations can't get the weapon and the knowledge of the weapons in his head. So clearly she needed to kill him, except she He's also- He's definitely dead! She threw him off a cliff earlier in the episode and he was fine, but this time we're supposed to think, oh, he's dead. Also, there's a fish monster. There's a fish alien? I don't want to call him a fish monster because the kind of weird but awesome turn in this in last week's episode- was that he looked like a creature from the Black Lagoon, and you were like, oh no, it's a monster! And then he was like, hello, I'm an alien. You've seen aliens. It's just that I happen to be an aquatic alien. Don't be racist, get your shit together! So, the episode opens with John trying to swim out of the ocean, because, you know, it turns out that falling off a cliff into the ocean isn't deadly if you do it at the right angle. And the ocean is deep enough? Yeah. That, that's and, a, that, and the cliff's not that high, which it's not. Yeah. That's that's the thing. Whenever water is used to say, oh, it's okay that these people fell off a thing. It's like, no, you can still really easily die falling into the water from, you know, high enough or from the wrong angle. Well, anybody who's ever, like, belly flopped can tell you, you can it can feel really hard when you hit water. What matters is, like you said, the angle of entry, how high you are when you jump, and how deep the water is when you hit it. And, like... We can see the cliff's not that high. This is the kind of cliff you would cliff dive off of. It's fine. But the problem, the thing that makes it not fine, is that a bunch of peacekeepers are standing at the shore waiting for him to surface because... Well, I love the, how they were like, yeah, he's clearly not dead. Let's just go down and point guns at the one area where he'd have to swim. So John's like, oh, no. But then luckily the fish guy grabs him and pulls him under and there's, you know, limbs flailing. And they're like, oh, okay, I guess he's dead now. <laughs> Yeah, the fish guy takes him down through, like, underwater tunnels to a underwater cavern-type place. It's the kind of thing that in Tomb Raider I always died trying to do, because there are some levels in Tomb Raider where you have to, like, dive down and, like, swim through these aquatic tunnels and then find your way to the caverns. Uh, water levels are always the worst. Oh my god, it's so stressful for me. I always drowned because I always got lost. If you have a poor sense of direction, you do not want a level that's timed to how long you can hold your breath. Mm. And I have a terrible sense of direction. So the fish guy's like, I'm going to drown you so that, you know, you can't give the information to the people about, you know, the weapons or the important archaeological discoveries that these people are going to use as weapons. And John's like, I'm sorry, what did you think she was doing? Come on. Uh, but it's okay, Dargo's there. And Dargo's like, wait, don't drown him. He's my friend. Uh, this, this, this fish guy, like, his, his allegiances are all over the place in these two episodes. I mean, they're not really, but they, they appear to be all over the place. Anyway, Dargo and Jewel find John, they chase off the fish guy, and they're like, hey, John, you stink, like, a lot. Because he smells like the pheromone that Greza uses to control men. Yeah, Dargo's, John's like, you know what happened with me and Greza? Because uh, last episode, Greza used her pheromone powers to assault John. Mm -hmm. And Dargo's very casually, yeah, everyone knows about you and Greza. And it's like, 
no, no, treat this seriously. I mean, I know when... Last week we praised this show for treating what was an assault seriously, and now they're like, aha, it's funny. It's not funny. No. I mean, not to be fair to Dargo, but to be fair to Dargo when he was being sexually attacked by the de-evolved cavewoman in that episode with the duplicator. Everyone treated it comedically, even though it was not comedic at all. But this isn't about the characters. This is about whether or not the show thinks it's comedic. Yeah. And I feel like the show went from last week treating it seriously to now being like, haha, it's all a big joke. Haha, John had sex with that woman against his will. Yeah. Oh, I said I said Dargo and Jewel found John earlier, but uh, no, it's it's Dargo and Sakozu because you know good Jewel. Yeah, good Jewel. So uh, good Jewel fills us in that Greza has this implant that allows her to secrete hempel oil, which allows her to control the men around her, and apparently... What kind of military do the peacekeepers have where that's just a thing you do? So, Sokozu fills us in that this is a thing that, like, courtesans do, and it's really weird that Greza would have done it because it severely reduces your lifespan and is irreversible. Mm. So, I don't know, that kind of gives us an idea... It puts a story in your head about who Greza is and where she came from. Is this a story that plays out at all? or No. Okay. I mean, we know that peacekeepers live a pretty long time, not like a Rigel's fish people long time, but like a pretty long time. And as we know from that like pocket dimension episode, the last hundred years are just you in increasingly bad old age makeup. So <laughs> maybe she's like, you know what? Not worth it. So... They decide that John needs to go keep Greza busy while they enact their plan. And I find this whole sequence really weird because at this point, John is voluntarily, question mark, agreeing to do this. But it, I don't know, it, it, it doesn't take away from what happened to him for a show that's very good at handling PTSD, I feel like here it's ignoring any trauma John might be having. Mm. But they tell John they're going to toss him, you know, back onto the rocks, so it's going to look like he just surfaced there, and that the peacekeepers will bring him back to Greza, and then he's got to keep her busy while they enact their plan. And Dargo doesn't believe that John could fake passing out on the rocks, so he, he tongues him. He uses his tongue to knock him unconscious. And even though in everything we've seen before, the tongue knocks you unconscious instantly, here, here John is given just like a, a brief second to be like, oh, fuck you, Dargo, before he passes out. Rule of, rule of, rule of storytelling. So, Graysa has John tied to a platform and... She's like, I let you wander around under control of nothing but my pheromones, and you repay me by trying to escape. And John's like, pop culture reference. <laughs> I heard a word that reminded me of a thing. I'm also guilty of this, so I can't judge him. But he's like, I heard a word that reminded me of a pop culture reference, so I'm going to make that pop culture reference. And Grace is like, hey, if you help me out, I'll help you find Aaron soon. And John's like, really? What? Why? Why do you think I would trust anything you say? And maybe you're telling the truth, but you'd probably just shoot her, right? This is like one of those weaselly situations where, like, I'd love to have you for dinner. 
John's like, this is not my first day in the Uncharted Territories. Uh, so, meanwhile, Jewel, Chiana, and the old woman are all locked up. Girl cell. Yep, yep. And Jewel points out that the little meter that lets them know when the magnetism gets too dangerous and they have to get the fuck out is showing that the magnetism is too dangerous and they have to get the fuck out. They have, like, ten hours before they all die of magnetic poisoning. And I love the... The filmmaking, like, the, the the film stock is getting less and less saturated, so mm. we can see the, the effect of the magnetism. And Jewel points it out, because it's happening diegetically. She's like, look at look at how desaturated everything is becoming because of the magnetism. And Chiana's like, I can't tell. I'm always monochromatic. Yeah. So Sikozu comes downstairs, and she's like, hi, you know how I'm working with you with the peacekeepers? Hi, peacekeepers. You know how I'm working with you? I want to go, like, yell at the prisoners and, like, tell them how dumb they are. And um, that guy who's been working for every big bad in the show. Bracca. Bracca's like, I don't know if I can trust you. And Sikosu's like, come on, come on. Bracca's like, it is also not my first day in the Uncharted Territories. (laughs) Meanwhile, Rigel's having bonding time with the old uh, dying pilot. Yeah, I almost said back on Moya, but of course it's not Moya. It's It's the dying Leviathan. Honestly, this episode really lets us get some emotional moments from Rigel that it has taken us four seasons to get. Yeah. Where he, he he's the only person who's really showing any sort of grief at the passing of this Leviathan. But Dargo goes to him and tells him that the plan for them to escape, for them to get the women out of the prison and get John to safety and get out of there before the magnetism fries all their bones. The plan is for this leviathan to crash onto the planet onto the marauder ship and then in the explosion they'll all run which to be fair is exactly the kind of plan dargo would come up with <laughs> he has that super fancy ship now so oh lolan wait but except it's lola which is short for lolan which is not a shortening i'm sorry i don't whatever yes the ship that he named after his dead wife john is in uh chamber with grazes she's untied him but she's taken his shirt off and i feel like this is kind of this might be see i don't know if it is because he's a male character and this is just sort of that thing but the first place i went to was slave leia Mm -hmm. where it's a it's something that's very clearly for the titillation of the audience but in universe it's not a sexy situation at all like people Slave Leia was an awakening for a lot of people. There's a whole episode of Friends about it. But in-universe, it's about a woman who's captured by a giant space monster who has her chained up against her will, you know? Okay, so as long as you're bringing that up, yeah, I I have to talk about Carrie Fisher. Yeah. R.I.P. Beloved Space Mom. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. When she was asked... By somebody like how do I what do I tell my daughter when she's watching Star Wars and we get to the slave Leia what what do I tell her and she said you tell her that a creepy fish monster captured her and made her wear that outfit and she strangled him to death with her chains and I was like fuck yeah yeah like it's I, I just we can't talk about slave Leia without me talking about how much I love Carrie Fisher yeah and the thing is it's obviously. It's bad, but 
it is a situation that she gets herself out of. Like, yes, there's not a point in that where she's a damsel in distress Although, outside of being a damsel in distress. I'm a, I'm a damsel. I'm in distress. I've got it under control. One of the things I liked that someone pointed out about it is because people, there's a lot of stuff with Han and Leia and this Leia outfit. And I saw someone point out Han never sees her in that outfit. It's true. I got us off track by mentioning Carrie Fisher, but I think the point you were making is that it's weird to do something fan servicey that in universe is not sexy. Yeah. Like the the in universe, like this is set up as a fan servicey thing, presumably. I mean, I don't know. Normally, they don't really do this sort of thing with dudes. But... I actually, well, well, they do do it with John. Mm. I actually don't think this is very fan servicey per se, but in a few scenes, we're going to have very fan servicey John, like fan service that I feel like we haven't seen since season one. Yeah, season one really leaned into the sexualization of John, and they backed off on that kind of a lot when he became. I mean, early on he was too, but as he's become more and more of a PTSD magnet, they've kind of backed off on sexualizing him as much. Which I appreciate that they're not, in general, making light of his situation. That they're not treating it as a titillating situation. Um, This episode aside. Yeah, because Grace is using her pheromone, she's trying to... Now, I want your opinion on this, because... It seems to me like John is no longer actually enthralled by the pheromones the way he was last episode. It almost seems like as soon as he became aware of what it was, as soon as Sakozu told him about the hempel oil, it like lost its ability to affect him. Do you did you see it that way as well? Uh, I thought of it as uh, uh, I think that's definitely part of it. I think it's probably a multiple thing. Like if you're expecting it, you can brace yourself against it. Also, like, she's used it on him before, so it might be less effective now. Mm-hmm. Like, th- I feel like there's a lot of things that are contributing to it not uh, it not working as well as it did last time. Also, I mean, it's a pheromone. It's not magic. Yeah. Like. Yeah, I- and John's been through, like, John was just drugged by the witch recently. Oh, my goodness. I totally forgot the uh, the other thing. He's using the little snail drug that Narati showed him to keep himself from being affected as much by the pheromones. So, yes, of course, he's also using drugs to counter those drugs. There's uh, a lot drugs. of stuff going <laughs> Drugs. <laughs> the, the, uh, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. So this reminds me of a changeling game that I was involved in. Mm-hmm. Uh, changeling, the, uh, the fairy World of Darkness game from the people who brought us Vampire the Masquerade for people who... Noun the adjective. Yes, yes, but for our listeners who don't know, yeah, Changeling is the... the Fairy one. Yeah, it's Changeling the Dreaming. That's the fairy one. Anyway, I was running... I guess it's noun the noun for some of them, like, Masquerade's a noun. Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah, it's noun the noun. Vampire the Masquerade, Changeling the Dreaming, uh, Mage the Ascension. Anyway, uh, yes, I was a storyteller, and I had a character who was, like, very anti-love. She was an NPC. And somebody was attempting to keep themselves from getting killed by uh, putting a love charm on her because they're fairies. They can do that. Mm-hmm. And they were like, ooh, she's so anti-love that when she begins to feel emotions for this person, she won't know what to do. And she'll, like, break down and and be so filled with love that she lets him go. And I was like, 
No, she kills him faster because she's anti-love and she's having feelings and she doesn't know how to deal with that. Which is to say that they're pheromones, not magic. It's it's not going to be a it's not going to be an exact science. Even though I guess it is a science. Anyway, moving on. I guess it is science, right? It's not going to be an exact chemistry. Magic. Whatever. The point is, John is not being affected by her pheromones, but he is explaining wormholes to her and how basically they're like reality turned sideways and. If you can, like, approach them from the right angle, you can see them and and use them as portals. And he's trying to figure out a way to, like, do that intentionally. So Braca comes in and he's like, hey, so Sokozu, this lady's, like, got information or whatever. She wants to talk to the prisoners. And uh, Grace is like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Let her talk to the prisoners. I don't care. I'm doing something. She set up all of these candles in this room. I'm sorry. It just makes me, I know I've mentioned this in multiple podcasts. But it makes me think about, do you remember Triple X, the Vin Diesel? Fuck you, James Bond. I'm the uh, action spy guy now. Yep, yep. There's a scene where he sleeps with a prostitute who's working for the mafia gang thing he's trying to, you know, infiltrate. And, like, the room that they have sex in is just filled with, like, dozens and dozens of candles. And I'm like, okay, did she set that up? Was she, like... Okay, I'm going to set up all these candles. I'm going to light them. Whenever I see a sex scene that involves a bunch of candles, I'm like, who did that? That must have been so much work. Anyway, when Graza is distracted by Braca, John, like, gets this knife so that he can try to stab her. And then she comes back and he's like, bad news from Smithers, which is, of course, a Simpsons reference. And God, I guess, The Simpsons has been on for so long. Oh, I know, right? And I guess it makes sense for him to be smithers considering that like he's the 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 toady of scorpius who's all like desiccated and withered like mr burns but the thing is Braca's most recent behavior has been to betray scorpius so i feel like john well, he's horny for his new boss that's like smithers right being horny for your boss yeah but that's not but she doesn't she doesn't fit into the mr burns analogy i just I feel like John has been taking too many drugs and his pop culture references are all over the place now. I mean, nobody gets them. You don't have to be accurate. Oh my god, you're right. You could, he could say anything. Yeah, he could be like, wow, that's very Gonzo the Muppet of you. Anyway, he tries to stab Greza, but she's able to, like, take the knife from him and then she does all sexy knife stuff on his chest, like you do. So, now John's digging a hole. Yep. Yeah. Presumably his own grave, and he calls Sokozu, like, Sokozu's watching him dig the hole, and he's like, congratulations, you got everything you want, peacekeeper whore, and she's like, oh my god, John, seriously. Seriously, John. Yeah, this is the thing where it's like, he thinks that she's betrayed him when actually it's part of the plan, and he really should know that it's part of the plan, but to be fair, he only just met her, and all she's done is betray him, so, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So... As a show of, I don't know, good faith or whatever, uh, Grace is like, I'm going to kill Scorpius because he's been a huge pain in your ass for forever. So, you know, because John was assuming he was digging his own grave, but no, he was digging a grave for Scorpius. And he's like, I don't believe that Scorpius is... Come on. Yeah, I've thought oh, he- Scorpius is definitely totally dead. Like, come on. I've been through this so many times. Oh, you shot him. There's no way he's dead. And Grace is like, hey, Sokozu, jump in the hole and check on him and make sure that he's dead. And Sokozu jumps in the hole. She's like, yep, dead as a doornail, gone, dead, deadsies. And uh, Grace is like, cool, shoot her. 
And Scooby's like, really? Really? Everything is a mess here. You can't just, like... Alliances in these two episodes are just a mess. You, 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 People, you have to choose your alliances and stick with them. Otherwise, everyone's going to get shot. Have you never... Have you never seen a Shakespearean play or a season of Survivor? Oh, I thought you were going to reference that, uh, the conspiracy episode of Community. Oh, yes! Where, in the end, it's just everyone constantly backstabbing each other, and then Annie stops it where she's like, Okay, if everyone betrays everyone all the time, then you're not making plans. You're not doing anything clever. Everyone's just doing random stuff for no reason. It's a great speech, which is why it's too bad I completely butchered it there. Yeah, go watch Community, everyone. It's a good show. But uh, Scorpius is not actually dead, and he whispers to Sakozu, Hey, here's the don't kill me password all upper-level peacekeepers know. Yeah, he's like, say, Skarnak, and they won't kill you. Also, do not fucking let them bury me! Oh my god. I like how Grace is, earlier in the scenes, like, you thought Scorpius was the brains of the operation, but it's really me. I'm the smart one. And she's just... She's not very good at her job, is she? We, we've been watching The Office. Uh-huh. And there's a bit in season four where they bring in this, what do you call him, a new manager? Well, so when they bring in Charles Minor to be the the regional, um, the regional manager of, you know, the whole, the whole Pennsylvania, the whole New England area, the whole New England region. Mm-hmm. But then when Michael quits because he's a dick, not, I mean, Michael, yes, but no, when Michael quits because Charles is a dick, then he is temporarily made manager of that office until they find a new manager. And Charles is presented as this, like, reasonable, very business-minded guy, but if you, you know, actually watch the episodes with a critical eye, literally everything he does is wrong. It's just that he has this veneer of professionalism that makes you think, oh, he's doing the logical things. He's running this office as it should be run, but that just ends up tanking their sales and... Well, I mean, the reason everything he does is wrong is because he doesn't understand the individuality of the people who are in the office. So he, it, it's a joke how he assigns everyone the tasks that are the opposite of what the task they should be assigned. Like, Stanley should not be in charge of He's not the rallying pro- the troops, and Kevin should not be doing the phones. Well, yeah, he, he made uh, Stanley the productivity supervisor, and, like, he picks Dwight to be his right-hand man. Also, also there is the the scene that where they're playing soccer in the parking lot, and he hits Meredith in the face with the soccer ball. Wait, is it Meredith or is Phyllis? No, I think it's Meredith. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right, I think it's Meredith. Anyway, he hits Meredith in the face with the soccer ball, and he's like, Jim, how come you didn't catch that soccer ball? And I, I, I think it was, I think it was, um, Mulverine, the YouTuber, who did an analysis of how fast that soccer ball had to have been going, and was like, no, there's no way! If, he, if Jim jumped in front of that, then he would be the one with a broken nose, Charles! It's like, and it's, it's CGI'd, you know, yeah. it's not a real soccer ball, but he like, he did the analysis of like how long the distance is and how fast the soccer ball travels. And he's like, no, absolutely not. Anyway, Charles is a dick. That's the, that's the. And the thing is, he's, it's not just that he's a dick because Dwight's a dick, but he's legitimately good at his job. It's that Charles is bad at his job. 
It's just that he looks like he's not bad at his job. He has, like, the opposite of imposter syndrome, right? Like, he comes in there, and he doesn't know what he's doing, but because he acts confident, everybody's like, well, he must know what he's doing. And that's how Greza is. I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah, what I'm getting at is that Greza is a person who assumes that she knows better than everyone else, and she thinks that she's, like, this chess master, whatever, but she kind of just... Not lucked. She was good enough at her job to get out of her league. Uh-huh. I know it's early for me to say this, but I, I believe you've told me that she's not in the sh- she's not like the big bad for this season, and she's underestimating everyone so much. This just does not feel like it's going to end well for her. Yeah, the big bad for this season is way cooler. Anyway, um, Gray's a Barry Scorpius. So back on the Leviathan. Dargo's like, hey, hey, uh, Rigel, did you talk that pilot into crashing into the planet so that we can all escape? And you know how much, like, sympathy I have for this pilot and this Leviathan? Because they were just trying to go to the Leviathan death yards and die in peace. And then these fucking guys showed up and were like, hey, I know that all you want to do is die, but we're going to suck you into our, like, bullshit first there's a very there's a nice scene between this pilot and uh rigel where the pilot tells like the pilot's like look i know i've been i've been going full uh i've been going full zan here i've been really stretching this death out over multiple episodes but i'm pretty much at the end now and uh yeah i'm gonna die soon so if you want me to do something we need to do it now ish and rigel's like i don't want you to die though and she's like It's fine. Uh, Maybe if our species were both puppets, maybe our species uh, (laughs) share an afterlife and I'll see you there. And yeah, this is the most I've ever cared about anything Rigel is. Yeah, yeah. Although, since you brought up the Xanness of this, I have to say it feels very Xan for this pilot slash Leviathan to be stretching out their death over several episodes and then die like 30 seconds before... They were supposed to die for the plan to work. I don't know why, but that feels very sad to me. So, brief bit of John having a sexy bath scene. Mm. And, and, and this is where, the important thing here is that this is where we see him using the this drug from the snail creature to yeah. avoid the hemp oil. So, Sakosu is in the uh, ladies' prison cell talking to the ladies, and they're like, ooh, we're gonna kill you, but, you know, once they're, you know choke holding her kind of away from the guards she lays out her plan to get them out of the prison cell they're also like how did you know that secret code and she's like scorpius whispered it to me while he was dying i literally do not know what it is and they're like tell us why we shouldn't kill you and she's like yeah look my main priority is my survival and my best chance for survival is with you people not the peacekeepers and then Jewel actually uses her powers usefully for the first time ever. Intentionally. She actually screams so that they can break the uh, handcuffs that they're in. And- it, it, it's great because uh, Chiana's been holding uh, Sukozu while Jewel, you know, talks close in her face. Uh-huh. And as soon as they decide what to do, Chiana just kind of shifts her grip so that her fingers are in uh, Sukozu's ears. While Jewel screams the uh, handcuffs off. Yes. Also, okay, I really, really love the shot because apparently the Peacekeeper guards have just been watching this. Like, just watching it 
totally uncaring for the whole time. And then the women turn on him and just the shot, it's a very Charlie's Angels shot of mm. the three of them all turning their attention to the Peacekeeper guards. And I love it. I love that, like, that image. It's like the, uh, it's like that shot in Avengers Endgame, except it doesn't feel incredibly forced and weird. Yeah, exactly. Do you, you, you know the one I'm talking She's about? She's not alone. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that? Because I've seen some discussion of it, and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't really feel like a moment that lands because none of these women have ever interacted with each other, It's basically. a moment that doesn't land because it was not earned. It's yeah. a moment that, that would... Be, I appreciate what they were trying to do, but you can't just give us one girl power moment. You have to, like, do the work and earn it. Okay, but the thing is, the problem with that moment isn't that isn't anything about the moment in isolation. The problem with the moment is that... It's not built off anything? Yeah, yeah. You can't take a bunch of women who are the token women in their various movies and then be like, ooh, what if they all showed up together? Y you have to... You have to do A-Force if you want to do that. So, yeah, uh, they beat up the peacekeepers. First, Sokozu does, like, a sexy, like, hey, boys thing, and then they just kick the shit out of them, because that's what you can do. I love how their plan was basically just Sokozu briefly distracts them, and then they beat the shit out of the guards. It is, like, the least, it is the least artful plan ever. It's like in the movie uh, Widows, which is a heist movie, but the actual heist itself is, like, this really simple basic, basic smash and grab they have to do planning for the whole movie, but... I have so many problems with Widows. I mean, I think your problems are with the twist in Widows. Yes, yes. So, but I'm just going to sum it up without giving anything away as, you know what should have been the focus of that movie? The Widows! Like, I... Oh. Ugh. It just... I, I feel like, I feel like the movie did all of the, all of the awesome women who are in that movie a disservice. I really like it, but I feel like the twist kind of undercuts the whole movie. But it's and it's not just the twist. There was so much focus on like their husbands in the past, and it's like, can they not just like, can they not have anything of their own? So John's back on the sex slash torture table. I was gonna say that it's weird to me that those are the same table, but then I, well, I'm not gonna get TMI. <laughs> I guess just. Maybe that's not as weird. Anyway, so uh, he's laying out on the table while Graza is looking at the little the little pyramid. pyramid that he found, and is like, "Okay, wait. So one of these is in Sebation, and one of these is in Earthen, and one of them's in Interion. So there's some weird connection between our uh, our races." And John's like, "You have literally all of the information I have. You know what I know. Stop asking me questions." And John does a little more drugs, so, you know, he can thing. And then Graysa starts licking his back. Because it's all scratched up. And she's like, wait a second. Are you doing drugs? Are you doing drugs? Are you taking, are, are you not paying full attention to our torture session so you can do drugs? I'm very disappointed in you, young man. Are you doing drugs that aren't the drugs that I'm giving you? And then he, like... That he's like, hey, you know what women like? Women like strong men. What if I overpowered you? And then what if you, Graza, the woman who thinks she's the smartest person in the room, were like, ooh, I love a dominant man. That's so sexy. And you let me tie you up, even though I'm literally your prisoner. And that's the worst thing you could possibly do right now. Graza is not... 
Smart. Fit to be in charge. Yeah. Anyway, back in the plan where the Leviathan crashes into the planet, all the timing is messed up because, you know, she's dying, so she's not in full control of her capacities. And, you know, that that's what's happening. Mm. And, you know, Rigel does his little goodbye, my friend speech, which is nice. And I, I genuinely, yeah, this is like... This is the most I've ever felt for Rigel. Yeah. So the pilot starts bringing the Leviathan down to the planet. Grazo's being tied to the table. Oh my god, she's the stupidest person on Earth. Or on, in space, I guess. <laughs> uh, so Rigel's got to get to safety because all this is happening too soon and he's still on the Leviathan that's going to crash. Oops. So basically, everybody... Is all all of our all of all of Moya's crew is trying to signal each other and be like, everybody get to Dargo's ship, like right now, because the plan is happening right now, and I mean the plan is basically crash one ship into the planet and then jump in Dargo's ship. Again, not complicated. This is what happens when John doesn't get to make up the plans. So. John's talking to Grayza because Grayza's like, where are you going? Why are you putting clothes on? And John's like, your drug wasn't working on. Like, you could have you could have just asked. You could have taken me out on a nice date, paid for an expensive dinner. But no, you had to drug me. And it, it doesn't work anymore. So bye. Honestly, no, I know we've spent a lot of time in this episode talking about how bad Grayza's plan is, but. She would have gotten so much closer to getting what she needed if she just had a conversation with John. She could have she could have pretty easily, I think, convinced him that their their desires aligned, even though they don't. So John and the rest of the I'm just gonna call them Moya crew, even though it's been a while since we've seen Moya. They're uh so they're booking it and Brock is like, wait, stop, and John's like Hey, Baraka, I know what you want. And then it looks like he's rubbing his ass, but he was really going for his gun. Okay, no, no, okay. You are you are underplayed how fun this scene is. He's like, Baraka, you're a man of the world. You've been places. You've seen things. Tell me, does my ass look big in these pants? And he kind of leans his ass and, and puts his hand towards his ass, but really... Well, he caresses his ass, and then he grabs his gun. Yes, okay, so this is basically the porn version of the scene from the end of Die Hard, where John McClane puts up his hands, but then he has the gun duct-taped to his back. Yeah. It's that, but the porn version of it. That's awesome! So everyone's shooting, John's trapped in a tunnel. Also, with all of John's PTSD, making that kind of joke makes me feel like he's, uh, he's coming back to himself. So, John's like, hey, can you guys come get me? Just follow, just follow the gunfire. And John's like, yes, we know what the deal is by this point. Yeah, right. So She's teaming up with Sokozu. Like, they're splitting to try to, you know, mm-hmm. they need to get the ship ready. They need to get John. They need to escape. And she takes Sokozu because she's like, it's not that I don't trust you, but I don't trust you. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, John's blaster runs out of blasts, which he's like, Winona never fucked me like this so remember he lost his own gun and he's very sad about it still so he takes he takes jewel's gun yeah he he's like hey jewel you know how you're bad at everything all the time i see you have a gun can you hand it to me a more competent person and jewel looks like she's about to say something and she's like you know what fine and she just tosses it to him also there's a moment where 
<laughs> they are in a gunfight. Like, shots are being exchanged, and Chiana and Jewel and Sokozu are all like, Skrinex! 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 Like, no, it doesn't work anymore. It's done. That's done. Also, Greza is, like, reaching out her arm trying to get to the knife that is just out of her grasp that she can cut her bonds free. And the thing is, I know that this is a war thing and not a sex thing, but I'm like, as as a responsible BDSM participant, I'm like, never leave a bound person alone. That is like BDSM 101. Yeah, there's that whole horror movie or oh, story about it. What's it called? Gerald's Game. Gerald's Game, yeah. Okay, that, okay, so first of all, that is just like too, too much. I'm going to say one just disturbing word and leave it at that which is degloving but also to be fair to gerald like not super fair because there are hints at the beginning of the story that he was abusive and that's what kind of led to the particular kind of sex that they are having but to be fair to gerald he didn't leave her alone he died on top of her Mm. so private benjamin style or if you prefer uh, Rosen Island style. The Goldie Hawn movie? Does somebody die on top of her in that movie? I don't remember that. Yeah, the movie starts with uh, she marries this rich guy and then he has a heart attack while they're having sex on their honeymoon. I totally don't remember that being the... What that's, the impetus the for her, that's the impetus for her joining the army because she needs to get away from her life after that and she sees this uh, advertisement that makes it look like the army just sends you to vacation in various places. Wow, okay. Yeah, I forgot that part. I mean, I feel like the only parts anyone remembers of Private Benjamin are the parts where she's in basic training. Yeah. Like, there's a whole nother part of the movie after that, which is just not fun or interesting at all. Stripes is like that, where it's, like, the first two-thirds of the movie are, are a basic training movie, and there's what feels like it's a climax, and then it ends, and then they steal a military RV and go to Russia or something. Yeah. Like, there's a whole there's a whole another 30 minutes at the end. Uh, Was that of, just a thing they did with military movies in the 80s? Yeah, all of these movies, you can just stop watching after they finish basic training. Okay, but the point here is, never leave a bound person alone. Mm-hmm. And, honestly, in an ideal scenario, ideally, like, best practices speaking, the person who is being bound should have the means to free themselves just in case you die on top of them. Well, that's why most handcuffs have the, like, release. Handcuffs mo- for sex. For pl- I was going to say play, but yes. Yeah, right? You can, you can release it. The person, who, the person who is handcuffed can release it with their own thumb. Yes, exactly. And if you're using rope, there should be a knife or scissors nearby. Honestly, you should do that anyway because if somebody needs to be released in a hurry and then you, as the top, can't get the knots undone, you, you're going to want a knife. Mm. So. This has been, like, BDSM safety tips. Now back to Farscape. I mean, it's not like the two things. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the pilot is heading down to the Earth, and Rachel's like, can you fall to this planet? And Rachel's like, can you die slower or fall slower? And the pilot's like, kind of out of my... (laughs) So, yes, all of this is happening. The pilot is dead. Oh, yeah. Like, or very, 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 very close to death. She does come to just long enough to be like, Rigel, why are you still here? This is bad for you. And Rigel's like, yeah, no fucking shit. 
This is very bad. Anyway, everything is chaos on the planet. The the peacekeepers are realizing that there's a Leviathan about to crash into them. Grace is like, how come you didn't see that? And Brock is like, it was off our scans. Grace is like, well, then our scans are pretty fucking useless, aren't they? So everyone's booking it. The magnetic fields are getting worse. So everything's getting more and more saturated on the planet. God, Jewel has to be so hot in that outfit. I don't know why that strikes me with Jewel's outfit, not Chiana's, but... Because hers is, like, leather, whereas Chiana's, while tight, seems to be made out of some sort of breathable material. John's gun runs out of gun fuel again, and he's like, Jesus Christ, come on! You may need to go back to that, uh, Thank God It's Friday gun planet, where they make the gun fuel. Or get those guns from Futurama, where you, uh, do 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 Yes, yes. I do like that he says that it has, uh... Oil. Yes, yes, but he... He says that a peacekeeper gun that a, a pulse pistol fires 600 shots before it needs to be reloaded i like the kind of like first of all the idea that it's not limitless that there, but also that john knows what that limit is like mm. john knows that's how much that's how much charge one oil thing he has 600 also because it's oil he checks to see if it's out of fuel by licking it. He licks it and he's like, oh, it's out of fuel. It's, there's a lot of really cool stuff with John understanding the way Peacekeeper weaponry works here that makes sense because obviously he's figured this all out off screen, but it's not painfully exposited to us. John just knows it. I Preview, this might be my world building thing. So they all get in, or all of the people on the planet get into Dargo's ship, and they start taking off. Greza is not happy about the situation. She has unbound herself. She's yelling at Braca, you know, like, we need to get off this planet. We need to do this, then the other thing. I'm going to chase them across the universe. I'm the big bad for this season. Yeah, Braca's like, we should wait till the command carrier gets here with backup. And she's like, that'll be two hours. He will be so long gone in two hours. You can see it in Braca's face where he's like, oh my god, how am I getting into the chasing this guy position again? <laughs> right? Oh, poor Braca. Braca's like, it's like fucking Groundhog Day. So John doesn't actually take off, though. No one takes off. They they take off in the ship, and then they land somewhere else on the planet because John needs to retrieve that third little pyramid thingy that he knows where it is. Yeah, the third beacon. Because they can be a weapon, but they can also do something to the magnetic fields to make it so that this planet isn't deadly all the time. Also, Dargo has a throwaway line about how he shot a satellite probe out of Lala, so... Hopefully the peacekeepers will follow that because I was going to say how unobservant do you think the peacekeepers are that they're going to follow a satellite probe instead of your ship. But then I remember everything else that happened this episode and I think, oh, good plan, Dargo. Jewel points out, look, if we stay here, we're all going to die. And uh, John's like, ah, but if we find the last thing, then we can set up the power grid or whatever and then we won't die. And Jewel's like... It's like, you better be right, John, because you get one shot, and if you're wrong, you're all gonna die in really horrifying ways while your skin melts off of your bones. I mean, me also, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is me, Tina, talking to them. Yeah, I'm, yeah. My, my skin's not gonna melt off because it's a TV show. I, I thought you were being Jewel there. <laughs> I am never being Jewel. <laughs> John needs Jewel to be there, though, because she's the one who's like, this is how you have to triangulate it. It has to be this far apart, and it's got to do all this, and blah, blah, blah. So, 
the witch and the fish guy are looking for the probes so that they can, you know, do build it. And the fish guy's threatening the witch, and the witch is like, "Look, we're all gonna die here. I have seen it. I'm I'm using my vague psychic powers." And uh, I love how John just shoes the fish guy away. Okay, no, this scene is amazing because she's alone with the fish guy, right? And he's like, "Where is the probe?" And she's like, "I will never tell you." And he's like. You must, because reasons. And she's like, no. And then John shows up and is like, hey, old woman, let's go get the probe. Fish guy, go away. <laughs> and it's like, John, they were doing a thing. And the fish guy's like, I've been looking for 20 years. I have seen things that you can never imagine. And then he slaps John. And uh, he's like, I must find it. And John's like, oh, my God, we're looking for it, you giant weirdo. Remember? Last week we talked about how they were in the episode with uh, with the lobsters that can tell if you're telling the truth or not. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all of this drama's going on and they're like, we do not care about your drama. And here it's kind of the same thing where the lobster guy is like, you will tell me where the probe is. And John is like, I'm fucking looking for the probe. Tag along if you want. I like how he's holding them all like at weird fish gunpoint. And he's like, this is a hostage situation now. I'm going to make you find all the probes. And nobody's treating him seriously at all. They're like, yeah, we're looking for the probes, you idiot. Yeah, because he's he's got his own story. I know earlier in this episode, I was talking about how, like, the fish guy's allegiances were all over the place. Like, is he with Vela? Is he with Naranti? Is he with John? But in retrospect, that is a feature, not a bug, mm. of the fact that he has his own plot that is not part of what's going on here, but it is a fully fleshed out plot that just is not our business. Yeah, and no one cares about. And honest to God, he could be not holding them at gunpoint now and achieve the same goals. Like, Much like Greza, right? Like You could have done nothing. Also, she could have... Like, Greza could have just talked to John and been like, hey, I also hate Scorpius. Do you want to form an alliance with me? So... I kind of love this because they they find the probe and he's like, finally, I've got it. It's mine. And Jewel throws a rock at him to distract him. And then John flies at him. (laughs) Like, I mean, I know he's just supposed to be jumping, but there's some really obvious wire work. And it's just like John's Phoebe Hollowell. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and then the fish guy jumps off that same fucking cliff. Well, there's, yeah, there's a little fight scene. The fish guy's like, oh, right. I'm a fish. Also, uh, Naranti, the, the old woman, is like, yeah, since he's a fish guy, he can just live underwater for the next hundred years until it's not magnetic summer anymore. So he's like, the fish guy's got the probe and he doesn't care about anyone else now because he's just going to wait everyone out while the flesh melts off their bones. And then Naranti's like, hey, John, you need to go get him. I know we're all about to die, but I think you need more motivation than that. So your gun that you've made a big deal about, I'm going to throw that out there, too. I love that she didn't need to do that at all. She's like, you need to go after him and to make sure that you go after him. And she just tosses his gun off the cliff. And he, he stands and he's like, really? And she's like, yep. He's like, this is my third time off this fucking cliff. But he does. He jumps off the cliff. He gets his gun. There's a little underwater fight scene, which must have been so expensive to film. It's summer right now, so watching these people fight in the water just like, looks refreshing. so refreshing. Yes. But yeah, underwater fight scene, John gets the pyramid. Yep. Yep. So now they've got all three pyramids, the probes, and they have to set them up in the spots. And 
you know, the it the magnetic stuff is is happening at an accelerating rate. So they need to do it right right now. I do like that you just need to put them the right amount of distance away from each other and then kick them. Yeah, just to kick them to turn them on. The kick, right? Like in uh that movie with the dreams. Inception. Mm. Not like Inception at all, but they called that the kick, so. So this might shock you, but they don't die from magnet fields or whatever. It works. They do not die at this time. You looked worried, so I wanted to let you know. They do not die at this time. Yeah, so it works and the world is beautiful now. And also all of the guys come back. All of the... Weird goat-killing monk dudes. Yep. They are, in fact, resurrected. Because that's the title of this episode. Yeah, it turns out that the point of these things is to, like, shift them into an alternate time-frozen dimension or something. Okay, that wasn't the point of them, but that's what happened. Mm. So, they didn't die, they all got shifted. So, yeah, the world is beautiful now, all of the color comes back, it's like the giver, all the color's back now, and... Even the old woman is like, oh, I was so sure this was going to be used as a weapon. Guess I'm, I was wrong, and I shouldn't have gone around sabotaging everyone. I mean, it, it was planned to be used as a weapon, so. Yeah, but you know, like, maybe I should have trusted that John could not use it as a weapon. Wait, which... am, I, uh, am I not psychic? Am I just making stuff up all the time? <laughs> but also, now that I've said it out loud, I'm like, oh, maybe I should have trusted that John would take this knowledge and use it to help the world instead of using it as a weapon. Oh, hey, that relates to the overarching plot of the whole show about the wormholes, which can be used as a weapon, but also John is apparently the only person who can be trusted with it. John is basically Superman, who, as I am keen to tell people, is interesting not because he has superpowers, but because he has superpowers and does not abuse them. That's John. I think this might be the first time in the show John's actually used his power, or knowledge or whatever this is i think the first time john's used it to actively help people instead of just blowing up people though intentionally or not yes well john needs to learn just like everyone anyway they all sit on the cliff's edge and like i said all the colors back and it's like super saturated and it's just a really beautiful hero shot yeah like i i mean everyone's posing but it, it looks cool and natural and yeah i guess that's why i called it a hero shot yeah yeah i mean it looks like the opening screen to a video game yes in a good way i want to make that clear like i want to make you know what i think i might make this our uh like it looks like it could be a really good uh twitter header picture hmm Anyway, uh, they try to figure out what to do about the monks, and Darga's like, well, Jules the one who, like, knows about them and knows all this shit, so maybe Jules should figure out what we do, and Jules like, okay, you all go on and finish up this season, and I'm just gonna chill here with these priests. Yeah, she got Klingon promoted to being the head of this archaeological dig. Everyone else is dead, so Jules in charge now. Also, we don't need to worry about her being in the show anymore. So, Jules is leaving, saying goodbye to everybody, and when she says goodbye to Chiana, they like hold each other in a like yeah she has her hand on her hip which is oddly intimate and shiana's hand is very close to her breast it's like just gals being pals so john pulls her to the side and he's like so our races are linked somehow and jill's like do you want to stay and maybe see if you can find out what's up by just doing research and john's like no i have to go find my clone's pregnant girlfriend since the baby she's carrying is technically also mine because we're genetically cloned. I have to have a very complicated custody battle with my not-ex. 
Yeah. Yup. Yup. And uh, Darko comes and he's like, so do you want to apologize for being racist? And Joel's like, yeah, my bad. But, you know, you don't need to stick around if you don't want to. It's fine. Uh, and Dargo points out that Jewel is the only one who is not, like, on the Peacekeeper's most wanted list. Upon reflection, she's the only one who hasn't been involved in any of their schemes in a way that resulted in her identity becoming known to the Peacekeepers. I think that's accurate. So, yeah, she can do whatever she wants now. She's, like, free. She apologizes to Dargo for not defending him against Vela's racism, but she does it in a kind of racist way because she's like, I mean, maybe you are not Vela's intellectual superior. And he's like, well, I am now. She's a rock. You know what? Go, Dargo. <laughs> yeah. But she's like, but you may not be, you might not be as smart as an interior, but you have more integrity and honesty than a dozen uh, interiors. And he's like, Jules, do you not realize that that is also a very racist thing to say? And Dargo's like, you know what? I think I'm okay with us not dating anymore. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I feel like there's a real trap with like space racism in comparing it to real world racism because the, these are in actuality to white people who yeah but that just reeks of a very condescending attitude towards other races that i will just say carries over to a lot of real world racism from people who don't think they're racist yeah so i will just leave it at that and then they hold on Jewel for way too long. Hey, hey, she's like, this is my last episode. It's not her. She comes back later. But she's like, this is my last episode for a long time. I get to milk it at least a tenth as long as Zan did. <laughs> There's just like 30 straight seconds of her having facial expressions. Then we cut back to the command carrier where Grace is like, man, this is very embarrassing. And Brock is like, yup. This is very embarrassing. And she's like, if I hear that you told anyone about this, I'm going to kill you. And Brock is like, yeah, whatever. I worked for Scorpius. And uh, what's his bucket? Crace. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, no. Oh, no. You're going to kill me? Yeah. Okay. I've lived this long in the show. I'm pretty sure I'm going to bury you. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't say that. But like when he's like, you won't hear a word about it. You're like, okay, yeah. You know what the situation is. Meanwhile, on on Dargo's ship, because they're all taking off now, Chiana has a little brief moment where she talks about how do they have a purpose? Like, Jewel has a purpose. It's to be with these priests now. But what about them? Like, Chiana, the thing, it didn't work out with her hooking up with the other Nabari because uh, she's being hunted by the peacekeepers, so she's just going to draw their attention. And it... Dargo off screen in a cut sequence decided not to go after his ex brother in law, so that's done. And he already found his son, and that didn't work out. And like, they don't have a mission anymore. John's got a mission though. Yeah, the the witch points out when Chiana's like, none of us have a purpose. Like, Jewel has a purpose, but we don't. And the old woman's like, John has a purpose, and uh, he asks her why she tried to kill him, and she's like, because the knowledge that you have is dangerous and my feelings aside like the most prudent thing would be to kill you but you've proven that you can do good with the knowledge you have so i don't know maybe it's worth it to keep you alive and he's like what's your name and she says her name nisanti naranti naranti and he's like okay naranti we're pals now and she's like oh john we were always pals i was just okay with killing you 
That's how she that's how she rolls. I do have to say though, the what was your name thing is weird because it it kind of feels like the thing in the Avatar The Last Airbender movie. Yeah. Where since they condensed an entire season into like two hours, we're like we're in the equivalent of episode five, and since they've cut all this other stuff out, Katara has to be like Oh, hey, what's your name, by the way? I know we've been, like, traveling together for weeks at this point or whatever, but you have a name, right? What's your name? Ong. Uh, how not excited are you for the Netflix live-action Avatar thing? Like, I know the original creators are involved, but I'm like, maybe we should all just move on from this franchise. Wait, okay, I don't feel like we need to move on from the franchise per se, because you know what I am excited about? What? The... Aang Gang as adults animated movie that's going to be coming out. Like, more stories within the Avatar universe I'm great with. Retelling Avatar The Last Airbender over and over and trying to make it work in live action. What what are we doing? In fact, even if you were going to make a new live action story that takes place in the Avatar universe, I could get on board with that too. Mm. I feel like it works better as animation. I mean, it does because it's so beautiful, but, you know, it's a lot like uh, in Star Trek, you know, Lower Decks does its thing. Strange New Worlds does its thing. And I think those are the two best modern Trek shows right now. And Lower Decks does things because it's animated that they couldn't do in live action, like the Doppler episode. You couldn't do the Doppler episode in live action. You can't have Richard Kind... Splitting himself into a million different, uh, into a million different people out of embarrassment. That just, I don't feel like that would work in live action. And you can't have the character who, uh, who is in three parts and that all hover around. Like, you could, but I feel like that CGI would not look good. Or any of the stuff with Dr. Tana. Yes! I mean, like, you could have her as just, like, a person with weird cat makeup, but the way that she, like, moves and interacts as a cat... I'm pointing at at an image of Chiana right now. And look how much that doesn't work with Chiana. That's what I meant, yes. Remember the one time she jumped really high for no reason and how awkward that was? No fault to her. She's not actually a cat. Yeah. All right. uh, We should get to our segments. Yeah. So we do have some segments that we do. Our first segment is a distant part of the universe. What world building worked for you in this episode? Huh. I I feel like most of the stuff I liked was stuff that was established last episode. Well, I talked about mine already, and it's John's understanding of the way the firearms work. And the thing that I like about that is that somebody obviously sat down and thought about how do Peacekeeper firearms work. And mm-hmm. even though it's never become an explicit thing, it has an internal logic. I love that. If a thing has an internal logic, then it's going to work on screen, even if you don't have somebody expositing to us how it all works. And I appreciate that. And and I think this is a good example of it. Mm-hmm. John knows how many shots you can do on the oil. He tests the oil by like licking the cartridge to see if there's any oil left. Like it, it's, it's smart and well done. It's, it's, it's well done world building. But speaking of last week, our second segment is strange alien creatures, which is what alien design worked for you this week. But Still the fish, man. Because it's part two, right? Yeah. So there's nothing new in this episode. But our final segment is the wonders that I've seen. What emotionally resonated with you this episode? This feels so weird to say. I know. I think we have the same thing, right? 
Rachel talking to the dying pilot when the just the part where she talks about maybe they both have the same afterlife and he'll see her there like having Rachel as the emotional linchpin of an episode is deeply bizarre but... and yet it worked in this episode yeah have we ever brought up Rigel during this segment nope and yet here we are yeah oh well our next episode is lava's a mini splendored thing boo the description from Amazon Prime is, After a forced planet landing, the crew becomes trapped in a lava-filled cave, hunted by a mercenary squad with a hidden agenda. It's the Floor is Lava episode. It's the Floor is Lava episode. So I believe that'll about do it for this week. I think that's going to do it for this week. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Rosa, Ryan, Maricruz, Benjamin, Kate, Jen, and Dan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. We can also be contacted at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com or at ilovetvzines on Twitter. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Mm-hmm.